How are you guys? Hey, if you're just joining us, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we love it when we have new folks here at Sunridge, and uh, we love it that people keep coming back, too. We also love it when people from the second service will go to the first service, but we won't talk about that right now. If you could ever do that, we, we appreciate it. You can see the issues we have here in second service. But we love it. If this is the only one you can come, please don't let that bum you out that I just said that. Um, so, uh, if, again, if you're just joining us, uh, last week we started a brand new series called Deeply Rooted, and uh, that kind of comes from uh, the vision that Sunridge is operating under, which, you know, visions aren't, you know, necessarily that important for you to know, but it's like, uh, it's what's driving our church forward right now. And we've taken our vision statement directly from the Apostle Paul's words in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 when he said that three things will remain forever, faith, hope, and love. And so our goal here is to uh, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love. And so uh, this church has taken major steps in the last couple of years to stepping outside of our four walls and showing, uh, bringing hope to places and living love. But, you know, it really all comes back to that base, the, the, the deep faith that we have is like what everything else springs from. And so uh, last Sunday, we started this series, Deeply Rooted, and we're talking about faith and its impact on us and the, and the steps that we can take to more deeply root our faith. But uh, it's also this teaching series is accompanied by a 10-week small group series called Rooted. And so we've been trying to parallel the topics that that Bible study has. And uh, so today, uh, our topic is, uh, who is God? Who is God? So that should be a really easy one, right? It would be so easy to just get up and talk about, explain who God is to the whole world, right? Uh, if you don't get that, um, I want to just let you inside the brain of a communicator, which might be scary to some of you for this communicator. But, um, you know, where do you start on that topic? Explaining who God is. I mean, do we start with his works, uh, his creation? Uh, do we uh, talk about his commandments? All of which would uh, tell us more about who God is. Uh, do we list his, his qualities of who he is? As uh, J.I. Packer has so uh, beautifully done in his book, Knowing God. You know, there's all kinds of options. So where does a communicator start? Especially given another challenge that we have, time limitation. You know, we're going to have to leave some stuff out as we talk about who God is on this Sunday. So I want to tell you um, what we're not going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about the existence of God, or uh, we're not going to give any time to uh, somehow convincing people that the God of the Bible is the one true God. If those, are your, those are great questions, by the way, but if those are your questions, we're not going to talk about them today. Uh, I would just point you to a series we did last Easter called So What? And we talked about the existence of God and reliability of the Scripture. And so just go back and listen to that podcast. Those are just some things from a communicator's point of view that, that are just limitations for me. But, you know, I'm not the only one lim with limitations. All of us have limitations when we start to talk about who God is. And I think that it would be good for us to take the, the great words of the amazing theologian Dirty Harry 
uh, as portrayed by Clint Eastwood when he said, a man's got to know his limitations. So um, I'm going to start with some limitations today. Here are some things that limit our capacity to know God. First of all, he's so far above us. This is in your notes. God is so far above us. And you know, I, I don't often like put a really long book quote up, but I'm about to do it. So, uh, because nobody can say it like this author. Um, the, the context here is Phil Yancey in his book, uh, Searching or Reaching for the Invisible God, has talked about how scientists and researchers have figured out what whales are saying in their clicks and their squeaks, and you can, for, you can foresee that someday we could be able to converse with whales. And so this is his quote that he gives in that context. He says, conceivably, we humans may one day master whale language so that we can lower an underwater transmitter and communicate through squeaks and clicks in a way that whales understand. And in doing so, we will interpret ourselves downwards in a self-limiting way comprehensible to whales. They will not receive the full essence of what it means to be a human being. We can only talk about fish and plankton and oceans, not about laptop computers and skyscrapers and Major League Baseball. That analogy gives a small picture of what it must be like for an all-powerful, all-knowing God to communicate with human beings. We recognize from the beginning that we have that limitation that God is so far beyond us. Second limitation we have is our own spiritual apathy. Our own spiritual apathy. Um, I heard of a teacher who wrote this word on the board, apathy, and overheard the students behind her. Uh, one student asked the other one, apathy, what's that? And the other student said, who cares? <laughs> so you get it, right? I mean, and we have that. We have that when we, when we start talking about how much, how much concentration and ability we can put into understanding God. Even those people called the disciples who were the closest followers of Jesus Christ uh, and the most dedicated, they couldn't even stay awake during prayers. I mean, we're just apathetic. The third limitation that we have is really affects us, our own personal biases. We have them. We have, because of our experiences or our wiring, we have, we have certain things that we want, we want most to be true about God. And our experiences have contributed to our understanding about God. So I imagine in a crowd like this, some of you, you look at God as kind of a policymaker. He's like the rule guy. And he's, he's, he's written a bunch of policies. That's his job. And our job is to follow the rules. And so your relationship with God is really about complying with all the moral values and constrictions that God has given. And mainly those policies have a big uh, category. It's like, no more happiness. That's what you think. So God, to some people, is a policymaker. To others, uh, God is more like a professor. And there's a whole bunch of stuff to learn. And there's textbooks to purchase and quizzes that will follow and uh, information to gain. And so God is someone that you're just more educationally tied to than actually knowing. For others, uh, our perspective of God is more like he's a pushover. He's like this big fuzzy teddy bear, the honey, honey, pumpkin baby God. And it's like he's all squishy, and, you know, everything is fine. And in others, kind of like you swing the pendulum the whole other way, God isn't a pushover. He's a punisher. 
And, you know, your perspective of God is he's always looking to give you a smack in the head. He's, he's looking for you to step out of line so that he can wrap you. He's up against the noggin. He's, he's the grumpy God. And, you know, God is just a judge looking for violations. And what's interesting is over time, uh, when you hold that perspective that God is a punisher, eventually you and God are on the same side. And so it's amazing that the, that the things that God wants to punish most are the things that you want to punish most. I've given this quote before. It's in your notes. Um, but I love it. It applies so much to our biases about God from Anne Lamott. She said, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. I love that. So can we all start with just this idea that when we talk about who God is, there are limitations. And in, in starting that way, um, we come to this topic and understanding humbly and understanding God that is far above us and recognizing that we have all these limitations and understanding them, but we're not without hope. We can know God. In fact, God has given us such a beautiful way to know who he is, and that is to understand him from a human perspective, which we happen to be. Um, Matthew, in his gospel, <clears throat> he records that at the birth of Jesus, angels announce this about Jesus, that they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We have an example of God. We can understand him in the language that we speak. See, think of all of the ways that God could have revealed himself to humanity, uh, and he chose this. And he didn't pick the God over us, nor did he pick the God under us, but he chose to reveal himself in God with us. And this brings us to our first point in your notes of how, who is God? God is revealed through Jesus Christ. God is revealed through Jesus Christ. Jesus was God with us, a person. And I know that we have different perspectives based on our traditions on why God would choose to do that, but I believe that at least a big part of that choice is so that we might understand him from the world in which we live. It's not a dumbing down of who God is, but it, it, it shows God's, the length that God will go to to reveal himself to us as lower beings. You know, Jesus said that he came so that people could know God, and there's this uh, passage of scripture in John's gospel where Jesus is talking to his followers and saying, you can have assurance that there is a place that no matter how bad the situation gets, I have prepared a place for you. And, you know, it's clear in this, in this passage that they don't quite fully buy in. They don't, they don't have complete confidence in this. And so in John 14, 8, Philip, one of his disciples, says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Like, I, I want to believe everything you're saying, Lord, but just show us God the Father. And, and then we'll be on board completely. 
And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, I am showing you who God is. Later in John's gospel, we have a prayer of Jesus recorded in John 17. It's the longest prayer of Jesus's that's recorded for us. And in that prayer, as he prays to God, he says, I have made you known to them. My life here has reflected who you are, Father. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus made God known to people. He did it through the teachings that he gave, through the stories that he told, through the works that he performed, through the values that he advocated, by the company that he kept, by the passions that he disclosed. And it wasn't just the things that he did, but it was also how he did them that showed us who God is. And, you know, all of those ways are much the same way that we as humans which reveal who we are to someone that we dearly loved. You have people in your life that you know at such an intimate level, it might be a spouse, a, fan, a brother, a sister, a, a very close friend. And it's the stories that they've told, the way they've lived, the values, the, 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 the nighttime talks, the, the, you know, the hard times that you've gone through. It's like you experience them as another human being and you know them. And Jesus was able to do that for us. But Jesus is more than a representative God, a representative of God. He is God. He wasn't just a reflection of who God is. He is also God. Uh, Paul writes in Titus 2.13, we, we look for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to appear. And John, the writer of John's gospel, in a letter that he wrote in 1 John 5.20, says, we, ought, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And in that simple verse, John brings together the deity of Christ as the Son of God and with his capacity to reveal who his Father is. Mark begins his gospel this way the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Simon Peter, in a conversation with Jesus, in which Jesus is asking him, who, who, who are people saying that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter declares in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says on that statement, I will build my church. The reason why this is important is not just that we may know who God is through the life and death of Jesus Christ, but also it is the only way of salvation. Jesus reflected who God is in his life, but he alone can save us because when he gave his life on the cross, he gave it as the Son of God, his actual God in a human body. If you want to know who God is, if you're searching for God right now, and you know, you have, there's so much misinformation 
on TV and in, in radio and what you read and, and what you experience. Like, if you want to know who God is, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's true if you are a brand new Christian or like searching. Read the Gospels and just observe Jesus Christ. It's also true for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, and maybe your, your, your interaction with God has become more about, you know, he's a policymaker, or he's a punisher. And, and you've grown stale in your relationship with God. I would encourage you to go back to the Gospels and read them with fresh eyes and rediscover the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if all of this is true, that Jesus came to reveal who God is, that he is the representative of God, that he gave his life as the Son of God, then what perspective does Jesus bring forward in who God is? Who is God? According to the life of Jesus and the statements that he made, God is our Heavenly Father. God is our heavenly Father. That's not the location of our relationship. That is the nature of our relationship. And Jesus used this parent-child relationship to help us understand our relationship with the God of the universe. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, six times in John's gospel alone, Jesus refers to God as your heavenly father. And many, many times in the gospels, when he refers to God, he says, he refers to my father or your father or our father. He's using something that we understand in terms of relationship to, to have a better understanding of the nature of our relationship. And you know, for me, I have, I have three children. It's like, I can totally relate to, to that explanation or understanding of who God is. Because as parents, on your better days, parents, we love our kids. We love our kids unconditionally. You know, as a parent, you, you go through life hanging on those joyful times and the times that are filled with laughter and watching your kids or your grandkids discover things and learn things and you, and you live off of those hugs and your kisses. But you know, you also experience the sulking times and those times when uh, the bedroom door is more often closed than it is open. And the only time you get eye contact with your child is when they need 20 bucks. Those are real times. And even if we get tweaked at our kids, which we do, we recover from that. And we, we return to pick up their toys for the umpteenth time, to clean their room once again that they did not do, and to pay for their tuition in which they're not investing wholly in their college education. We just keep loving them. And even though you warned your daughter about that boyfriend, six months later when the breakup happens, you're laying on her bed crying with her, not saying, I told you so. 
you're also thinking about murder or torture or something like that. Parent love is a relentless love. And you know, parental love, just like God's love for us as our Heavenly Father, it's, it acknowledges all the complexities of that relationship and, and how our control is limited with our children. You know, that there's no better time than when your kids are in that age where you can almost perfectly control them. Can I get a witness for those ages? Hey, amen. Come on now. Come on, parents. You're not with me? Okay. When they're in that age where a threat works, they can understand it and its consequences, and you can make them do it. That's like a beautiful thing. But that is a short-lived time. We live through other times where they make their own choices. And, you know, the truth is, even though those times hurt, we forgive their obnoxious attitudes, their open rebellion. And many times we even regret the consequences that come as the result of their behavior. Even if we're bringing the consequences. In fact, most of us learned that many consequences on them are consequences on us. But that's a whole other story, you know. Give your kid, you know, lock them up in a house for a week. You know that's as much punishment for you as it is for them. You know, God as our Heavenly Father has the same relationship with us. That He loves us unconditionally. But there are also complexities in that relationship, just, there, just as there are in human relationships. You know, there was a, um, an interaction Jesus had with religious leaders, and um, what, what was sparking it was they were complaining about Jesus, and they said, you know, he, he welcomes wayward sinners. And so in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, he kind of clicks through these, this, re, this relationship of, of lost things. And he talks about a lost sheep and how the shepherd pursues it. He talks about a lost coin and a woman that is desperate to find that one coin, even though she still has nine. And then he talks about the lost son. You might know this story as the prodigal son. And if you're not familiar with it, Jesus tells a story about a father at that time who had two sons, and one of them was rebellious and unappreciative and wanted his inheritance now. He didn't want to wait until his dad died. He wanted his money now. And so, I'm sure a lot of conversations and arguments and slam doors happened back then. But ultimately, the father relents, and he gives him his inheritance, and he goes off, and he spends it all and finds himself penniless. He finds himself in the middle of the consequences that anybody could have told him he would have faced. And yet, he, he wonders in his mind, can I come back? I have nothing left. And so he does decide to come back. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus says this about his return. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father responds and says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And so there's so much in that story that if you're a parent, you can relate, especially if you've had a wayward child or a, a child who's making bad decisions that are destructive and not taking them in a direction, and yet you, you cannot control them. You can't lock them up forever. And you have to let it happen. And it's painful. But what comes out of that story eventually is that this father isn't hard-hearted and somehow waiting to, to get his recompense and his revenge on this child that made all, this bad, all these bad decisions and hurt him so deeply. In fact, the opposite seems to be true, that it says that while he was still a, a, a ways off, his father saw him, which to me indicates he was constantly on the lookout for him. And you know, if you have a child that's far away from God or, or you're strange from you, you know that's exactly what's going on in your heart. You're constantly looking for that relationship to be mended. And when the child comes back, he doesn't wait for his confession. He doesn't wag his finger. He embraces him. It, he runs to him, which was an embarrassing and inappropriate thing to do culturally at this time. And this father just runs out there, and before his son can say a thing, he doesn't know if he's back for another 20 bucks. He just wraps his arm around him and kisses him and is thrilled. And, and I believe that that's what triggers his son's open confession, that I have, I have done you wrong and God wrong. And his father just welcomes him back, and he throws a big party, a big, loud party. The reason I know it's loud is because his brother, who was way out in the fields working, hears the party happening. And Jesus concludes that part of his three lost stories by saying, and so uh, there will be the same kind of rejoicing in heaven when one sinner returns. If you've been far from God and you wonder, it's like, what, can I return to God? Maybe I've never been into God, and you're wondering, like, how does God feel about me? Is the building going to cave in on me? Are, are people going to welcome me? God says that he's been looking for you and waiting for you to take a step toward him. You know, Jesus says that you can know God by looking at his life. And he says that this life that you see, that you experience, I want you to see it through the lens of your parental relationship with your children, that he is your heavenly father. And what, one last thing about who God is that I think ties into our understanding of God as our heavenly father. Not only is he revealed through Jesus and he's our heavenly father, but lastly, God is profoundly smitten with you. Think about this as a parent, how often you think of your children. I know that smitten probably isn't a word that you use every day, especially as guys. Hey, But um, what it means is to be constantly thinking about them. You're just like so taken with them. You know, um, when I think about that, I, th I think about my relationship with my children. I think about like how Cindy and I, our relationship first started and 
Uh, I might have told this story before. Hopefully, I tell it the same way. But um, when we were dating in Bible college, I had been dating another girl for a long time, going steady. And um, I broke up with her. And, you know, like I had in my, in my mind this Rolodex of all the girls I wanted to go out with if I ever broke up with this girl. And my Cindy was one of them. But I happened to like be a, like a caged animal set free, so I went on five dates in one weekend, which was against Bible college rules, by the way, but we'll talk about rebellion another day. And um, I, so like I took her out, and somehow she found out, which is like a Bible college thing, you know, go out once, you're an item, everyone gossips about what's happening. And so everyone knew that I had taken her, who I'd taken out, and Cindy knew. So I called her up Sunday. I wanted to go back out with her again. And I called her up, and she, she said, no, I won't go out with you. And I'm like, that's not even possible. What are you talking about? <laughs> and she wouldn't tell me why she wouldn't go out with me. I'm like, look, let's go for pizza after church. No, I'm not going out with you again. And um, I said, okay, well, tell me why. Well, I'm not going to tell you why. And I just said, well, how about this? How about we go to church, and then we go out for pizza afterwards, and then when we're at pizza, you can tell me why you don't want to go out with me anymore. <laughs> and that worked. <laughs> and so all that to say, it's like, you know, I had planned on like, I'm free. I'm going to go wild as you can go at Bible college, dating. And uh, I was just, I was just done. Knocked out. And it's all I could do. I, I just thought about her all the time. And you know, like, with your kids, you're the same way. We just think about our kids all the time. And this, this, this smitten, profoundly smitten uh, feeling is reflected in David's psalm, in Psalm 139. If you, if you ever th- wonder, does God think about me? Am I distant from God? Am I, like, far from God's thoughts? You should read this psalm every day until it gets in. Psalm 139, I'm just going to drop down to verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. David says that through through the inspiration of God, that God's thoughts cannot even be counted about you. And we parents, we think about our kids constantly. And not only do we think about them, but we want, we want to make sure we never forget the things that we wanted to think about them, that we thought. And so we record them. You know, like my day, I had a baby book. Anybody get a baby book from their parents? Raise your hand. Anyone got a baby book? It has, yeah, it's like the old school way. Like it, in there is like my parents writing of things I said and dumb things I did and really cute things I did. And then, like, some pictures of me in different phases. Because my parents wanted to never forget all the cute things that I did. And it was like a really big book because I did a lot of cute stuff as a kid. <laughs> and then, you know, like, we started using cameras. And there used to be this thing, you know, if you're under 20, it was called film. And, you know, actually, I did a wedding a couple, years, a couple summers ago, and somebody actually had the Instamatic camera where you click, and then you got to, like, take your film and get it developed. 
And we have stacks of those pictures because we never wanted to forget. And then we went to another phase where uh, we got an eight millimeter camera. Actually, it was the youth group that I was the youth pastor in. And so I shot film of my kids. And there's eight millimeter footage of my kids feeding ducks and doing goofy things. And then it got even better. We got VHS. How many have VHS, like video film, like on the VHS tape? Okay, great. And uh, some of you are like, huh. Um, and so we just wanted to record all that. We have all these stacks of them in our house. And we made all of our son-in-laws, when they were dating, we're like, hey, come over. We want you to see movies about the person that you're interested in. <laughs> like, man, sure got a lot of movies about them. And now we've gone way beyond that, right? It's digital and, you know, not only can you record it, but you can let everybody see it immediately. And you know what I know from your social media? Some of you are profoundly smitten with your children. Because you're like, you're just thrilled to show that they ate a piece of broccoli or something like that. We're all that way. Um, Years ago, Cindy and I were like right in the throes of parenthood when our kids were little. And, you know, I was back to school at night trying to get on with the fire department. And, you know, pennies were tight and we pinched them long enough that we got a little getaway and we got somebody to watch our two older daughters at the time. And we, we took off up the coast. And, uh, you know, it was like the first time in 10 years we had uninterrupted conversation for three or four hours. And we got to do that, and, and we got all that out, and then we, we, uh, we sat down in a restaurant in Santa Barbara to have lunch, and, you know, we realized that we're really nice people if we just get away from our kids every once in a while. But, you know, like, it, our conversation quickly changed. And do, do you know what we were talking about? Like, our kids! What is it about, like, putting a couple of hundred miles between you and your kids, like they get much cuter and more loving. But it's like that's the life of parents. We're just pretty much suckers. And you know God is a sucker for you. As our Heavenly Father, His thoughts cannot be numbered of you. Sometimes I think that when we talk about knowing who God is, we're really asking the question, does God know who I am? And I think we can understand that better when we see God through the lens of Jesus as our Heavenly Father and as someone as a parent who is profoundly smitten with us. You know, last week I said uh, the, the most important thing about you is your faith today. And I'd like to retract that statement just one week after making it. And I think that the most important thing about us today is understanding who God is. Because when we understand who God is, it enables us to live assured of God's acceptance and love. And that changes the way we live. When we fully understand God as the quintessential parent, the parent that we all want to be, 
the parent who has unconditional love. Not that the parent, not that God never disciplines us, never like brings us back into line. Hebrews 12 says us that a loving parent does that for their children, and so does God. But the most important thing about us may be our ability to see ourselves through the eyes of a heavenly father who is profoundly smitten with us. You know, another reason that's important is that understanding who God is allows us to reflect him. Understanding who God is allows us to reflect him. You know, it's important that we know that God loves us in the way that we've talked about today. But it's also important, Jesus said, that we are the light of the world and that we should live our lives in a way that brings glory to God, which all we really have to do with that is reflect who God is. We don't have to make up who God is. All we have to do is reflect what God has given us. And you know, that, that's more difficult for some of us than others based on our experience, our religious training, sometimes our own family experience. It may be especially difficult for you if, you had, if you're in an abusive relationship in your home. But don't transfer that to who our Heavenly Father is. God loves us unconditionally and accepts us. That who's, that, God is our Heavenly Father. That is who God is. The best thing that I could do for you today is to remind you of that and to challenge you not, not to know this in your head and not even to say that, uh, you know, remember that God accepts you. It's much deeper than that. It's the best thing I could tell you today is to allow yourself to allow God to be your heavenly father. That's different. See, God's going to do it whether you accept it or not, whether you allow him or not, he does. But the glitch in that is us just letting God love us. And then with that understanding, coming from an all-knowing, all-powerful God, to be able to leave this room and reflect that God to this world, to your neighbors, in your own home, in your community, in your school, at your place of work. When that God gets reflected, he's lifted up and he's glorified. There's so much stuff out there, so some of it's wacky, some of it's just misperceived, some of it's like uh, of the evil one. But if, if people who feel loved by their heavenly father just reflect that love, it's a world changer. Will you pray with me?